Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Therese Hendrick. So today I'm going to talk about bots, lots and lots of bots, or another way to describe them and probably the more accurate way or official way is scripted attacks. That really is when computer networks, bot networks, are used to attack websites a speed faster than humans. And we've had bots around for a long time. Different types of bots here, there. Also in droves, right? My good friend Diana Kajic Physic at JD Sports joins me back in, I had to look this up, back in February for episode 72, where she talked about sneaker bots and how any company, whether it's event ticketing or sneakers or any company that has a drop or limited supply of items and there's a high demand, we'll see these purchasing bots that have kind of been labeled sneaker bots. So if you are interested in learning more about specific purchase bots, I highly recommend that episode as well. But today I'm going to talk about the other types of bots that are really impacting the payment systems of e-commerce, of marketplace, of fintechs. So there's a couple different types of bots, right? And I'm talking about them because I'm not the most technical person, but I know that a lot of you listening aren't either. So the way I look at them is what they're doing. There may be another term for them that's more technical, but there are bot networks that are created for card cracking, for card testing, for account creation, for account takeover. And these seem to be multiplying and attacking at a much higher rate than ever before. I have not found any specific data on this to be able to say that they've grown by X percent or anything like that. But just going off of reports from merchants in my network, as well as looking at consumer posts on Reddit and other social media sites, as well as an article that came out last week that I called attention to on LinkedIn that got quite a bit of sharing and and comments on it is telling me that this is the growing problem. So that's what I'm basing it off of. Sometimes in the quote unquote fog of war, I don't like using that term because it obviously is very real for those that are in war-torn countries. But in this case, we're kind of in the middle of it where it's happening right now. There's not a lot of hindsight. There's not a lot of clarity on what exactly is happening and why it's happening. But I think we can make some pretty educated guesses on that and then talk about how they are targeting your company. And even if your InfoSec team is more responsible for scripted attacks than you are, because they are targeting your infrastructure, you may not know exactly what they look like, or you may not be used to seeing these, but now you're going to start to see purchases or account creation or other pieces made by bots. One of my theories on why this might be happening more now than what we've seen in the past is because a lot of fraud syndicates or really crime syndicates that are benefiting and really financing all of their other crimes, whether it be terrorism or human trafficking or gang-related violence or others, 
we know that they're funding those crimes on card fraud and payment fraud and other manipulations of financial systems and other pieces. And so because of that, can assume that a lot of these bot networks are being run by those fraud syndicates. They allow them to basically throw a million different chances up against the wall. And even if a few of them come out, it's so low cost for them. It's not the same as having to pay humans to do it. So it allows these crime syndicates to be able to target companies and banks, financial institutions much faster than they could if they hired humans or had human labor do it. And even if their success rate isn't high, they still have a success rate. It's kind of similar to scam phone calls, right? 95% of people may hang up or laugh at them like I did the other day. And I was just like, ha, 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 this is a scam. And then I hung up because, bless this guy's heart, I don't know if he knew it was a scam, the guy who called me, but it was definitely a scam. But anyway, they still do it because 5% of those work and it's cheap, especially if it's these robocalls, right? So bots are kind of similar to robocalls in the way that they're cheap and their success rate isn't high, but they still have a success rate. And one of my theories about why these financial or these crime syndicates have more resources to put into just the technical pieces of what is required to create botnets and scripted attacks on a massive level is because they honestly received a lot of infusion of cash over the last few years. If you look at just how much money was made by criminals in COVID relief funds, primarily in the U.S. and the U.K., you can look at it as if it's fraud venture capital. So the U.S. alone has estimated, and some of us in the fraud industry, at least on the expert level or thought leaders or whatever you want to call us, have said that, you know, we believe that this is a pretty conservative number, including my guest from Tuesday, Frank McKenna. But it's still $400 billion should not be conservative, but that's what they're saying now. So if we just consider that maybe 10% of that was invested by crime syndicates or stored away because it was just so much, that's $40 billion, 10% of that. So if you think about this, that 10%, that $40 billion is most likely being at least, and this is just all kind of conjecture, but just using it as an example, if they were to put away just 10% of what was stolen as a whole into future fraud and kind of see it as business capital, and that's where we get the term fraud venture capital, thanks to Jake Emery, who's now at Nice Actimize. He started that term, and I think it is brilliantly phrased. That allows these crime syndicates to be able to invest in more technology and more resources. We know that many of the bigger crime syndicates, the international ones, have been recruiting developers and engineers who are graduating from MIT and Stanford to write these botnets. And unfortunately, they have big checks to write. There are some people, sometimes I wish I was one of them, but that's older conversation. I definitely am not. There are some people that will look the other way if the money's right and they won't really think about what they're building. And so unfortunately, they've now had this money over the last year to really invest in this. So that's partially why I think that at least anecdotally, bot traffic is going up so much. But there's other reasons too. That's just the main one that I can think of right now, or that I should say the main one that I think has the most is probably is the most probable, right? So 
maybe in a few years, somebody will do some research and realize that there are other reasons too. But that to me, it just seems like in the timing and everything else, that is my best guess. So let's move on to a specific example of bots that just occurred last week that I got quite a bit of traction or attention on from LinkedIn post. And I think that it warrants sharing with my podcast audience as well. And it's from ARS Technica or Ars Technica. I honestly don't know how to say it. It's my husband's favorite publication. And actually, he saw this article and sent it to me. I joked that he knows my love language. It's sending fraud news to me. Okay, I rolled my eyes, so please, you can roll your eyes too. (laughs) So here's the headline of this article. Debit card fraud leaves Ally Bank customers and small stores reeling. And then the title is, some are seeing charges on cards they've never activated or hardly used. So I'm not going to read the entire article, but I think because a lot of you are merchants, you will relate to a lot of this. The article starts out talking about a small business owner that set up his own website. It's just kind of a side hustle, creating family handbooks. It's something he did for his family, laying out their core values and a mission statement and even a constitution. And so he thought other families would want to put their beliefs into a real book and one that they could hold on to and that they could display. So he's had a little bit of success and he's spoken with big groups about bulk owner orders for the most part, business has been really quiet. He's just had a couple of orders here or there. He has a Shopify website transacting through Stripe. This is all in the article, so I'm not sharing anything I don't as it isn't already public. But on Friday, August 11th, so almost two weeks ago, a woman from California called him about a fraudulent charge. He checked his merchant account and he saw over 800 transactions for $1, 800 successful transactions. When he contacted Stripe, they told him about card testing and then they explain it here as, as a scheme in which online card thieves use tiny charges from an account to test for valid charges. So Stripe said that they would issue a bulk refund to those 800 customers. And so knowing that his payment processor knew about the issue, the business owner went about his weekend. But then on Monday, he woke up to a bunch of his calls and he said that his site had attempted nearly 11,000 more transactions for a dollar after. So I'm going to try hard not to criticize this specific payment processor. And I know it's hard, but when I was a risk analyst, this was exactly the type of thing that was my job to look for. This small merchant that's barely had any business at all, and all of a sudden they have $801 transactions in one day. And two days later, they have 11,000 more in $1. In my opinion, that account should have been suspended or paused when they knew about the 800 transactions, but I don't know what they did on their end and they may have done more. I'm just honestly reading this based or I'm talking about this based on this article. So they may not have known all that, but most of them were initiated by email addresses that were minutely different from each other. Many of them involved the same bank card, which is weird, right? So many of them have the same bin, which isn't always super common. It can be if a big bin list is sold in banks, but this seems a little bit more than that. Many of them involved Ally Bank cards. He'd only ever had two phone calls to the forwarded number listed in his online store, and now his phone wouldn't stop ringing. So it goes on to say how he felt really bad because he's a small business owner. He didn't want his name to be put through the mud, so to speak. And the article goes on to say that his business appears to be a victim in a chain of fraud that has affected thousands of debit card customers over the past week. This article was posted last Friday or Thursday. 
Friday. So in the last two weeks now, from everything I can tell on Reddit and other pieces, it doesn't look like it's letting up. Many customers are tweeting or posting about it in the subreddit Ally Bank about charges on cards, some they've never activated or used. They've reported phone support wait times of up to an hour or more when they're trying to call their banks. There's an overwhelming sentiment that something is happening, but for days, the major parties have yet to confirm anything. It does look like there, oh, there was a statement later that day from a spokesperson of Alley that was updated saying across the board, financial services industry is experiencing an uptick in debit card fraud activity caused by bad actors. The statement noted that the unauthorized transactions reported within 60 days of the statement will show in a new card or will result in a new card and refunded charges. So we know what that means, right? Probably be charged back unless your processor refunded it, you refunded it. Oftentimes those dollar charges aren't going to be a chargeback, but they will end up on your TC40 report. So that is something to be aware of. I talked a lot about that on a previous episode. I did not do my research beforehand to tell you which one, but I can look it up if you are interested in that. TC40 reports are the logs that Visa and then MasterCard has their safe report of when cardholders report fraud on your system, whether it turns into a chargeback or not. So oftentimes for transactions under 10 or $20, depending on the, the bank, those won't result in a chargeback. They will result in a TC40 file or a safe report file. And that is something that issuers use to decide whether they feel like you are a good merchant or a bad merchant, as subjective as that is, to determine, well, they have a lot of fraud reports, so maybe we won't authorize this transaction. So that's the impact it has on a business. It does look like it. they are targeting smaller companies. And I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are with bigger companies, but that's just the cart testing part, right? So there's cart testing is only one step. The bad actors get lists or spreadsheets or whatever it is of card numbers with expiration date and CBV often, as well as oftentimes the AVS information, the zip code and the street number of the house. And then they just run it through a bot and have the bot test it on these smaller websites that don't know to restrict $1 transactions. And that can be a real cost to those businesses because not only is there that risk for fraud and everything else, they're paying the payment processing costs. So this can really add up fast, especially to small businesses. And I do think that the majority of enterprise businesses have put stops in place for card testing over the years because this is something we've seen for years and years. But unfortunately, smaller companies don't have the same resources. That's something I would love to help change over the years. But right now, that's where we're at. So just wrapping up this particular article, they talk a lot about how it does seem to be linked to Ally Bank debit cards, but that there are other credit unions and banks that are being reported just in smaller groups. So that's why they're, the article names Ally Bank specifically. And then at the end of this article, it says, but bank specific fraud waves are uncommon. Like I mentioned, it's hard to prove that no other banks are suffering similar fraud spikes at the moment. Yet, none appear to be attracting quite so much customer outcry as Ally. A Tinker Federal Credit Union in Oklahoma posted a notice Thursday of an unusually high number of debit card fraud attempts. Otherwise, social media and Reddit are seeing a typical smattering of individual fraud complaints while Ally-related posts continue to cluster. And then they also talk about a couple who they both had debit cards, but at least one of them was not even activated and was still in the envelope in a drawer. And that was compromised, which tells me there's probably some card cracking going on here. But 
I'll get into all that in a minute <laughs> about what the difference is between car tracking and carding. But what I wanted to mention about, even though the smaller businesses are the ones who are experiencing carding, if you work for a bigger business in fraud, often what happens is once the bad actors really are able to narrow down the cards that are still active out of the ones that they tested for those low dollar transactions, they'll then use those cards fairly quickly to make large dollar purchases. Already on Reddit, I have seen several fairly well-known merchants on there from Mars saying, I had an unauthorized transaction for this amount at this merchant and this amount at that merchant. And so I think that if you are an enterprise company or a well-known or larger brand that has fraud prevention expertise in-house, probably a lot of you listening, that you should be on the lookout for these. And I would pay closer attention to debit bin numbers. Your fraud or payment provider has a way for you to at least determine card type, whether it's credit or debit or prepaid or gift card, etc. And so if that's the case, I would just say that if you're looking at suspicious transactions and they are a debit card, just to be a little bit more higher alert now, because we know exactly where you can know exactly what fraudsters are going to do, right? By knowing some of the patterns. So the fact that they are card testing in huge droves and that customers are seeing this mostly on LA Bank, but I'm sure on other banks as well for debit cards, better safe than sorry. Also, it is always important to look out for card testing and looking for those low dollar transactions over and over again that will often result in a high percentage of declines. That is one way that you can know if your company is being targeted for card testing or not. So nowhere in that article did they really mention bots or scripted attacks. Here's what makes me believe that that's what we're dealing with. One is the high volume of transactions. The fact that this small business sought 800 transactions in a day and 11,000 over a weekend, it's not typical for humans to actually go in and do. They were also all $1. They weren't different amounts. Sometimes if it's a human farm or a solo actor or a small group, they'll kind of try to, maybe they'll get a pair of socks and then they'll get a pair of the lower dollar items on e-commerce, but they will be different amounts. This was all the same. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So 
If you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. But the other key thing in this article that made me think that they were bots was the email. The fact that they were oftentimes alphanumeric, oftentimes they will be on free domains or a private domain that was recently opened or recently closed. And they're oftentimes just kind of gibberish. That is another sign of bots. The other one is the time in between transactions. That's not something that was conveyed in this article, but I'd be willing to bet it was seconds, not minutes. And then also, you know, I'd be curious to know were they all happening from the same device, a different device, et cetera. Like I said, I am surprised that their payment processor didn't freeze their accounts when the merchant first contacted them, but there might be something else going on in the back end. And I'm certainly not trying to call out Stripe. I know several people that work there and every payment processor has, you know, these issues. So it's it's not specific to them. But because Stripe is often the payment processor of Shopify and other platforms that enable small businesses to accept payments online, that is probably more likely and why this is happening there but that's more for the card testing i think the actual purchases with cards may not be on bots and will be higher dollar spread out over different merchants so i think that just going through this you know like i said online fraud's never been more profitable especially with digital payments exploding from 2020 to 2021 which they grew by 104 percent just in that year and i think covid had a lot to do with it add to the fact that the average consumer has 100 plus accounts online many with stored payment methods and or stored value. It's a perfect opportunity for fraud to grow and flourish. So now I'm kind of just diving into bots and this is what I wrote already. So I think I'm probably going back a little bit, but I did write down later on in my notes. It, I think the title of that episode where I talked about some of the reasons why fraud was growing so much was fraud is in a state of emergency. That was, I think, what the title was of the episode. I want to say it was in March or April. But so I've talked a lot about the steep increase in account takeovers via bots over the last few episodes. And it definitely can in part be due to data dumps of leaked credentials and then put into a scripted attack and just go through one merchant at a time or 10 merchants at a time and just see what hits because uh, those will often happen through credential stuffing. It's easy to program a script from what I understand. I'm not as technical about these things as other people and probably not as much as your InfoSec team, but I do know that those are fairly programmable. So they'll often attempt known passwords on multiple accounts held by the same person and hope that the person reused passwords on multiple accounts. So for instance, a Hulu breach from I don't even know how many years ago. There are fraudsters that are still putting those credentials into scripts and bots and trying them on web e-commerce websites of all kinds, hoping that the people who had accounts with Hulu back then haven't changed their username and password for other sites. That's one way of ATO. That is not the main way of ATO. And I think they've talked about that recently. I certainly talked about it in a webinar recently with Mike Cook at SoCure for the Marketplace Risk Summit or the Marketplace Risk Association, I think. Not for the summit, but it was a webinar. But then you can also expect bots to just relentlessly hammer their way into accounts with thousands of attempts 24-7. And that is what we call brute force. The impact far beyond the direct dollar loss 
is also going to impact, sorry, as I put my page here, an increase in customer support costs, customer churn, reduced brand reputation, risk of non-compliance with data privacy regulators. There was a case study in an episode several weeks ago where you can learn how other companies are quantifying these related costs to the business. So this was probably also back in April or May. One of the, I'm just referencing all kinds of past episodes. I apologize. I will try to put them all in the show notes though for you. So if you're trying to figure them out, if you look at details for the show, I always try to put links in there for the articles they talk about. So obviously that ARS Technica article will be in the show notes today and I will try to reference back. But there was another episode that I did about account takeovers with some actual case studies from other merchants. I didn't share what who the merchants were, but these were results of internal case studies they did that they shared with me. One of them that stands out the most is the fact that one very well-known marketplace looked at customers spend the year before their account was taken over and customers spend the year after their account was taken over. And when they averaged it out from customers who never came back to customers that didn't change their purchasing patterns at all, they saw a significant drop in revenue. They saw a 60% decrease in revenue from those customers whose accounts were taken over. So that gives you real world ability to quantify this and share it with your leadership, which is a continued topic on this podcast because it's a continued problem in our industry. But also there's a big risk of ATOs on employee logins. I mentioned this two weeks ago, I think, where shipping carriers are having their employee logins compromised. And that is now impacting e-commerce merchants because these logins are allowing bad actors in the refund claim fraud area to be able to log into an employee's account for that carrier, copy and paste the tracking number of the product that they want to get a full refund on, even though they received it. And they'll change the status in that shipping carrier system from delivered to lost in transit for return to sender. That's a huge dollar impact on companies, especially because they're primarily doing that on transactions north of $10,000 each. So just there's all different ways, right? So there's also account takeovers on employee accounts as well as consumers, and they're all bad. But I'm just going to kind of go through some of the other types of bots besides account takeover. And I will talk about carding in just a minute. So there's bots for new account fraud, and they will automate account creation for purposes of various fraud, including card fraud, comments. Any company that has user-generated content knows exactly what I'm talking about, whether it's dating sites or social media any site with reviews, any site with comments underneath. There are tons of comment spam or review hacking, review fraud, just all the flavors of fraud, right? There's so many. Whether it's for fake ads, promo code, or referral code fraud, right? If I give my referral code out to a bot system and they're able to set up a hundred or thousands of accounts, all of a sudden I have all these referral credits. It happens all the time where they refer each other and then they bulk the credits together and then they sell it as one. So many different types of fraud that can't even get into in one episode, as well as, you know, money laundering, etc. So that's the reason for new fraud bots. And you'll see that at the time of creating an account on your site. There's card fraud bots and they'll do one of three things really, but two things I wanted to focus on. One is card cracking. 
And this is based on the assumption that card numbers and names are readily available. Bad actors will use bots across various merchant websites to attempt different combinations of ABS and expiration date and CVV and will determine the missing piece of data in seconds to use on another site for a high dollar fraud transaction. This may look like card testing, but instead they're trying to figure out what expiration date and CVV will work when the issuing banks require those to work for authorization. Not all of them do. The other is carding. And that kind of talked about at the beginning of the episode with this article. But what I wrote down to kind of explain it was already have the credit card numbers with the corresponding cardholder information for CMP purchases. They'll run small transactions to verify the card is active and then resell or use the card for a higher price or transaction. Both card cracking and carding are easier than ever with tutorials available online and fraud is a service, which I have talked about a lot. If you feel like I haven't talked about that as much, let me know. Sometimes I feel like I've talked about things a lot and then people are like, actually, can you do a deep dive on refund claim fraud or can you do a deep dive on fraud as a service so we can understand it better? So please just let me know because sometimes I think I'm talking about something a lot, but maybe it's a little bit of it in different episodes. So if you ever want a deep dive on a specific topic just let me know sometimes they struggle with what should i talk about for thursday so i'll let you feel free to help me out with that there's also gift card fraud bots and we kind of talked a little bit about this with jared price at income a couple of months ago but he didn't i don't know if he went into this much detail but there's gift card cracking or gift card enumeration where you're basically guessing the gift card numbers and then checking the card balances to find cards with unused balances to steal there's one example is the gift ghost bot it's probably the most popular. Some of these you can actually rent or you can ask others to use it for you with your data. That's part of the fraud as a service. You no longer have to know everything yourself as a bad actor. You just have to be able to find someone else who has that core skill. I'm not trying to be flippant about it. It's just, I don't know, sometimes I just kind of have to be <laughs> matter of fact about it or else I'm going to lose my cool. So <laughs> if a balance is provided, the bot knows it's a legitimate card balance or card with a balance. So they'll just put in tons of different combinations of cards. And if they get a balance back, then they know it's a legitimate card and they know how much the balance is. Then they try to use that on the online site before it gets flagged. So this is actually why a lot of merchants won't allow there to be gift card lookups because they also can do it on IDR, the phone systems, the automated phone systems, as far as getting balances. So oftentimes companies are now requiring a PIN or additional information that is only available on the physical card. The, the person who has the physical gift card is the only one that knows that information. But this is you know, a huge problem. And I have worked with a couple of merchants who have very large gift card programs, whether because they are integrated into their apps or they are very well-known brands and they're often given as gifts. And this can be a real problem. Gift cards are good targets because they're anonymous and untraceable. And bots are used because they're much faster and cheaper than humans, as I mentioned. One retailer reported seeing over 4 million balance inquiries on their gift cards hour. That is so much web traffic that you're paying for that isn't even valid on your site that isn't going to turn into dollars, not to mention everything else. But another issue with gift cards is that oftentimes the customers will blame or the consumers who own those gift cards will blame the merchants whose brands are on the gift cards because most or all private label gift cards aren't FDIC insured. So lost money on those gift cards 
usually means lost trust to the brand. I do know that some retailers, if they're able to research it and see that more than likely this card was taken over or was compromised due to card cracking or card testing on gift cards, they will often reimburse it, but it depends on the amount. It depends on a lot of factors. So you can't just assume that it'll be reimbursed because that's honestly at the merchant's discretion. And that is why it's so important for merchants to prevent all of this from happening. And, and there are definitely ways to do it. And I can go over that in just a minute as far as general ways. I am very aware there are some bot protection companies out there and vendors out there. I think they're like any kind of vendor. Some are really great and exceptional. Those are often going to be a little bit more expensive, but there are some other ones that don't really have the best user experiences from their merchant customers. I often hear the good, the bad, the ugly about solution providers, but all I can say is don't think that they're all the same or that they all are great. Do your research and also reach out to some of their customers. Ask them what their experience is because some of them might have a giant marketing budget to appear legitimate and to be legitimate, but their customers wouldn't say the same thing. And that goes for solution providers across the board, not just bot protection at all. Bot protection or bot detection or just all of those pieces. But I do know there are some that have been doing a great job and that understand the difference between these different types of bots and how to identify them. The impacts to merchants of any of these bots, obviously, like I mentioned before, are an increase to customer support calls, chats, and emails, often from people who have had their credit card or their gift card stolen or used in error. They're trying to call in and say, what the heck, or who are you, or what did I buy, or report the fraud. It obviously result in chargebacks as well as TC40 reports if they're lower dollar. Fraud chargebacks will often turn into TC40 reports, but not all TC40 reports or safe reports for MasterCard will turn into chargebacks. It can be a little confusing sometimes. It can also impact your servers with millions of attacks at the front end. Traffic could overwhelm servers, leading to slowdowns or downtime. Fees to ping your gift card provider for balances and or your payment processor for card testing every time you run a payment through your payment processor for authorization, as well as when you settle the transaction, there's a fee. And even if you're getting declines on those authorizations, you're still having to pay that per authorization fee. And especially for these small businesses, that can add up real fast, but it adds up fast for big companies too. Loss of customer trust in future sales. We talked about that. Also shows the traffic data for reporting and security. Per oh, it also skews your traffic reporting. Sorry, I couldn't read my own handwriting. It also skews your traffic data for reporting and security purposes. So, you know, if your business is looking like, wow, we had 50 million people enter our website month, but only 3 million made purchases. Well, that could be because of a bot somewhere and that's going to skew your reporting. So those were just some of the impacts. I'm sure you have others as well. This is something that I am seeing just in, like I said, anecdotally, but just hearing a lot more merchants and banks and fintechs and marketplaces saying, whoa, we are getting some serious bot attacks. And even though that's kind of more info security and cybersecurity, because they're targeting areas within the payment process, that probably falls somewhere within your purview and why I thought it was important to talk about this week. One thing specific, and I'll just reiterate again, I think I said it in the middle of this episode, but if you are an online merchant, I would just pay more attention to any anomalies using debit cards right now, whether that's high decline rates with those bin numbers, whether that is high dollar purchases that also look suspicious in other ways on debit card 
bid numbers, looking at a large number of new customers, either placing low dollar transactions to test the cards or large dollar transactions that appear suspicious. I actually think this could be worth assigning an analyst to for a few hours. I mentioned that to a couple of the companies I work with, knowing their specific capabilities and everything else. I thought, you know, it might be worth just assigning an analyst to do a deep dive on card and then a little bit more into declines as well as high dollar transactions and risky transactions. If you work for a solution provider, I think this is just as good information for you. I do know one merchant who got back to me after I said, hey, you know, you should look into it. And they said it looked like their fraud provider caught all of them. So that was a relief. So it may be that these are fairly obvious fraud. A lot of the bot attempts are obvious when you look at the details. But just because there is so much high volume with these, it's really hard to be able to decipher or look at them all manually. That's for sure. I hope I gave you a lot to think about or at least learn if you're not so familiar with the different ways that bots can attack online companies as well as what is going on right now. It's hard to know. It is good that Ally did provide a, a public statement in the afternoon after this was printed last week or published last week and that they said that this is impacting lots of banks, not just theirs. But it is something to just be aware of as more banks and financial institutions are identifying it and deciding whether they're going to reissue cards or they're going to put some extra restrictions on that. But we also know that oftentimes in the card not present landscape, it's often up to us collectively. If you're accepting card not present transactions to also have a layer, we cannot assume that the issuer or your processor will identify them because there's just so much volume and so much fraud. It's a huge challenge for anyone to see all of it any one of those entities. So important for you to be keeping an eye out too. With that, I'm going to let you go for this episode. But as always, I appreciate your listening and your support and just your guys' dedication to this podcast. I will never stop being grateful for it. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.